I'm turning now on the Word of God to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and reading verse 7. Revelation chapter 1, and reading verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And my subject for this morning's message is the momentous event, the greatest event in world history, and what a day that will be. This, this verse is, of course, speaking about the Day of Judgment, when the Lord Jesus Christ will return in judgment to judge the world. It will be a time of great blessing for God's people because those who, are the, who do belong to the Savior will be escorted by the angels in heaven. They will be escorted to see Christ Jesus in the clouds. They will meet their Savior in the clouds and they will go into everlasting glory and eternal blessing. At this particular time, just to give a bit of background information, uh, concerning the Apostle John. Believers were persecuted throughout the Roman Empire, but especially in Rome. It was a very difficult time for Christians at this particular time when this was written around AD 90. And it was written, I'm sure most of you know, on the um, island of Patmos, a Greek island, and Domitian, the Roman emperor, sent John there, excommunicate, uh, sent him there by, it was a punishment, and so he was exiled on this island, and it was while he was on this Greek island that he received these revelations from God. Some people think that the book of Revelation reveal, reveals things concerning the end, the last events of world history, but that's a very lopsided view, to just view the book of Revelation in that light. Of course, it does address issues concerning the very last times before the Lord Jesus Christ will come to judge the world. But as a whole, the book of Re Revelation, through a, mult a multitude of visions, records the spiritual warfare between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan. And it reaches this great climax when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and defeats Satan's kingdom at the end at the end of the age how will the Lord Jesus Christ defeat Satan and his hosts the demons and those with him will he come with weapons no we learn in second Thessalonians chapter 2 that he will destroy him merely by appearing by the brightness of his coming he will destroy his enemies so majestic so awesome is our savior he just appears and the enemies flee before him. So we'll be looking at this verse uh, this morning. Such, such a spectacular verse, such a grand verse. Verse 7 again, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. He cometh with clouds. Many don't believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will come to judge the world. They can't conceive that this man in history, everyone knows that Jesus Christ existed 2,000 years ago. Even the most ardent atheist believes, even Richard Dawkins believes it to be so. Everyone, no one can deny 
that there was a man called Jesus Christ in history who lived uh, all those years ago. Roman historians speak of him. Jewish historians speak of him as well as Christian historians speak of this man. But they cannot conceive, people cannot conceive that this gentle saviour coming lowly on Jerusalem in a donkey and he's so gentle, he's so uh, he comes with so much compassion they can't conceive that he will be coming again as a judge to judge the world. And besides, people will say, well, Christians have always said this. Christians down the ages have always told us that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Well, where is the promise of his coming? And many people rid ridicule this notion that Christ will come again to judge the world. But friends, this is something that we need to uh, take seriously where is the promise of his coming that I'm taking a, I'm, I'm quoting a verse from second Peter chapter 3 where it's prophesied at the end of the age scoffers will come mocking the very idea of Christ returning in judgment but what people seem to forget is this is that when the Lord Jesus Christ came the first time and people understand, I've already mentioned, people understand that Jesus Christ was a literal figure in human history. But what people tend to forget is that Jesus' first coming was announced as well. Jesus' first coming was promised as well. So you have the second coming of Christ. This is promised. This is announced. But so was his first coming. And most people today don't understand this. They, don't, they, or they have forgotten. Society doesn't understand so the Bible is divided into two testaments. There's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. But through the Old Testament, you have this grand scheme running through the, um, through the Old Testament, I beg your pardon. You have this grand scheme running through the Old Testament concerning the coming one, the coming Messiah. Right back, in, it starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But you have this wonderful golden cord running through the through the Old Testament, this golden cord of prophecy. Abraham, for example, 4,000 years ago or 2000 BC, God spoke to Abraham and to Jacob and Isaac and so on, but initially to Abraham, promising him that through his seed, singular, through his seed, through a descendant that would come through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And this continue and this promise continued to become more elaborate as the centuries rolled on. More prophets made this promise more. They added more detail to the prophecies that what this Messiah would be like. But God told Abraham, 2000, 2000 BC, that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And when the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, that promise was fulfilled, all the initiating of that promise, where he told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, just as, Ab just as God told Abraham, through your seed, Abraham, through the coming of Messiah, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then the Lord Jesus ratifies it by saying, go into all the world and preach this good news of the gospel. Uh, but there are many other, many other prophecies in the Old Testament. We could speak of Psalm 22. What a how many prophecies are there concerning Calvary? We're told in Psalm 22 that the Messiah will be pierced with his hands and his feet. That was a form of, of execution which didn't exist at the time when that was written. And uh, not only that, but uh, we, we're told in Psalm 22 that those at the cross will be staring at him, glaring at him, and he will be mocked. And his 
his garment will be gambled with. We're told all this in Psalm 22. And in Psalm 16, we're told, we're told of Christ's resurrection. How, how the Holy One will not see corruption. The Holy One of God, the Messiah, will not see corruption. His body will not decompose. And we're told in uh, Micah, the book of Micah, written 700 years before Christ came, that he would be born in Bethlehem. This coming Savior would be born in Bethlehem. And he would be none other than God himself. Because we're told in the same verse that his goings forth are from everlasting. He always existed with the Father. And we're told in Zechariah that he would be, again, hundreds of years before the event, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. I can go on and on and on. Isaiah, uh, in, in many prophecies in Isaiah, in fact, Isaiah is, is referred to by many theologians as the, as the fifth gospel, because it is. It, there's so many, there's so much about Christ in, in the book of Isaiah. We're told in Isaiah chapter 53 that he will suffer and die for sinners. He will be bruised. He will be pierced through for their transgressions. He will carry their sins upon his own shoulders. And Isaiah again that he would be God himself. And again you go right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. It all starts with Genesis chapter 3 with a curse when Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled against God and God gave that prophetic prophecy to them yes uh, the messiah the cut that your seed will bruise the serpent's head but in the process his heel will be crushed his heel will be bruised so this the serpent will be crushed his kingdom satan's kingdom will be defeated but in the process he will bruise his heel the savior will be pierced through and from then onwards we see this glorious uh, prophecy growing um in detail and you think even the entire system of worship in the old testament was just one massive visual aid and visual prophecy concerning christ the whole sacrificial system is pointing to the lamb of god who will take away the sins of the world well why are you telling me why are you telling me this what has this got to do with christ's second coming when he comes to judge the world because if the old testament prophecies and promises were fulfilled to the very last detail and they were if they were fulfilled to the very last detail you can be sure that all the promises and prophecies concerning his second coming will also be fulfilled to the very last detail this is a god who cannot lie and we have history to prove to prove this well does the bible tell us exactly when the lord jesus christ shall come again no the Bible does not tell us exactly. It doesn't give us the day and the hour. And it warns us that we shouldn't uh, devise elaborate schemes to figure out when he's coming. Because no one knows when he will come again. That We don't know the day or the hour when the Lord Jesus Christ will come. We're told in scripture that he will come like a thief in the night. Everyone will be caught by surprise. For believers it will be a wonderful surprise. But not for those who reject Christ. But the whole world will be caught off guard when Christ comes again. But although we're not given the day and the hour, although no one knows when Christ will come again, we are given details concerning what the world will be like at the eve of Christ's coming. So that we can know that we're approaching the season where we're close, we're coming closer. So we can't identify the day or the hour, but we can know that we're heading closer to Christ's return because there is Things which the Bible speaks of, which will, which will give us an indication that Christ is at hand. 
There's a grocery list of things we, we see in the scriptures which the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to be on the lookout for. So let me just give you some of these items on this grocery list concerning things that will come to pass just before Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And the first thing is this, that the gospel will spread throughout the entire world. That's one of the, that's one of the indications that Christ is, is at hand. He's very close. He's at the doors. His own words. And I just quote this verse concerning this first item. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. So once the gospel has spread across all nations, all tribes, then the end shall come. So there's indication then we're going to be entering into that final phase of world history at the eve of Christ's coming, once the gospel has spread everywhere. So that's one of the things we can look out for. And another thing is this, is that natural and man-made disasters will intensify greatly. We're told in scripture, we're told in Matthew chapter 24, for example, that at the commencement of Christ's, at the commencement of the gospel age, that is between the two comings of Christ, the, the first coming and the, and the second coming of Christ, during this gospel age, will be the commencement of the beginning of sorrows. So there will always be wars and rumors of wars. There will always be earthquakes and pestilences. But just before Christ returns, these things will intensify. They will become far more frequent and more and more great in their destructive power. And I just quote a verse, Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through to 28. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the, the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things which are coming upon the earth for the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So there will always be earthquakes and natural disasters and man-made disasters, wars and so on. But these things will intensify according to what the scriptures teach. They will become a lot worse at the eve of Christ's coming. And then another item on the grocery list is universal persecution of the church. It won't just be isolated to particular countries. It will be a universal phenomenon. There will be persecution on every, in every country against believers. That's what we're taught in the scriptures. Universal persecution and universal apostasy. Uh, uh, falling away from the truth. It will be everywhere. Christ's, there will be an intense hatred towards the faith across the entire globe. Christ will be hated and mocked in every in every part of society, God's law will be turned upside down and there will be a universal attempt to destroy, to stamp out any, any last vestige of the Christian faith. This is what the Bible teaches. Uh, and the reason for this is because the Bible has had, has, has, such, has, has had such a powerful influence on the world until this time. If the Bible, if, if only I could, I can go on for hours to tell you how the, how the Bible has influenced uh, not just the West, but even the world in such wonderful ways. We would be at each other's throats without the message of redemption, how it's changed things practically the world over. 
the reason all so many things we take for granted, the hospitals we have and the many uh, compassionate elements of society, none of these things would exist without the Bible, without the influence of the Christian faith. But there will be a great attempt at the end of the age to stamp out any influence of the Bible. And there's been a great <coughs> attempt in the West, but it will spread globally. This is, what we ref- this is what's referred to in Revelation chapter 20 as Satan's little season, where Satan will be given unusual liberty to do his worst at the end of the age. And, he will, and it will seem as though Christ's church is a lost cause, but then Christ will come. It will seem as though the church is on the brink of destruction. So it will seem. But then just before Satan seems to do his worst, Christ will come. Of course, there is a, there is a possibility of, of, a, of a last minute revival. I don't have time to go into details, but if you look at Revelation chapter 11, for example, right at the end of Revelation, some theologians say that there could be a last minute revival. I hope they're right. That would be wonderful. Uh, but I, I don't like to be dogmatic about it, but it would be wonderful if there was a last minute revival. But now let's look at the, the actual day itself, the day of judgment, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come to judge the world. Verse 7 again, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So Christ came the first time. What a contrast. The first time Christ came, no one noticed. He came so discreetly, barely anyone knew that he came other than a, f- a few foreigners traveling from the east, the Magi, and a few shepherds from Bethlehem. Other than that, he, he came unnoticed into this world. It will be altogether different when he comes next time. Every eye will see him. Everyone on the planet will witness the first coming of Christ. Not only will everyone alive, not only everyone who is alive when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, not only will they witness him, But everyone who has ever existed in world history will witness this. This will be such a cataclysmic, such a grand event. More dramatic, more spectacular than anything we've ever seen. The second coming of the Saviour. And those who have been dead in their graves will be raised up to life. Even those who crucified him, the Roman soldiers, the Pharisees who mocked and scoffed him, they will be raised from their graves. Everyone will be raised from their graves to witness this great event. And there will be two great reactions on that day, two contrasting reactions when the Lord Jesus Christ appears with his train of angels in glory. Those who have trusted him, those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have trusted him as as their Lord and Saviour, who have come to an end of themselves, and understanding that none of their good works can earn them salvation. They've come as needy supplicants to the cross of Christ, looking to him for salvation. When, he come, when they see their Savior coming in the clouds, it'll be a time of unsurpassed delight. It will be the climax of their faith. Often during their faith, they've been so cast down because of their sin. Their faith has given way to doubt and other things. But when they see their Savior coming on the clouds, it'll be altogether different because their faith will be, will, will, it will, they won't need faith anymore. They'll be in the presence of the Savior forever. They'll finally see the one. They'll finally see their blessed Savior who, who was willing to suffer and to die, who loved them so much 
as to lay down his life for them. Uh, I've already mentioned already, but they'll be escorted by the angels to meet the Lord in the air and they'll be with the Savior forever. But for those who have rejected Christ, it will be a time of untold terror, terror that I cannot even begin to describe. We learn in Revelation chapter 6, for example, that people will panic, people will be, will be so panic-stricken and fearful and terrorized that they will seek death. They will try to commit suicide. They will want the mountains to fall upon them when they see the wrath of the Lamb, but it will be too late. There is that second death, friends, where I will consciously be punished by God forever, that eternal place of hell. And people will realize this when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. They will realize what they will face. Maybe God somehow will supernaturally give them a realization who they've rejected lifelong. I've ignored my creator lifelong and I've lived for myself. All the many blessings that we receive from God daily. The many things that we as human beings just simply take for granted. My eyes and the many colors I can see and the many, even, even the, the, the basics we have as human beings. The taste and, and all the blessings we have and our reasoning faculties and our creative abilities and the many blessings we have and people just don't give any thought that these are gifts from God. These are things that God has lavishly given to us as his objects of love but we've spurned him and we've rejected him imagine if a child treats their parent that way the parent maybe is given so much to give that child a good start in life maybe they've had to work three or four jobs so that that child can can have food on the table and they've done many things and the child grows up and forgets it all doesn't contact his parents hates his parents or his mother or his father imagine how that person imagine how the parent would feel but this is what we could do to God. This is what we do to our Creator who has given us our parents, who gives us everything. My whole life has been lived as if my Creator doesn't exist. What an insult. And yet many people on that last day will realize what they've done to their Creator, how they've treated Him. And at times God has troubled my conscience. At times there's been, there's been occasions in my life when God has used my conscience to trouble me. And, he've, and He often does this. He uses the troubles and difficulties of life to remind me that there is a greater calling in life to seek his mercy. Things are not right. Maybe through a marriage that went horribly wrong or a, another crisis and difficulty in life, God troubles my conscience and reminds me that I need to, I need to be made right with my God, sickness and other things. The guilt comes to the surface and life seems so meaningless uh, at this particular time. I'm going through all these troubles and I start to think to myself, what's the purpose and meaning of, of it all? And in such times, in, instead of asking the big questions, instead of seeking out the big questions, what's the purpose and meaning of life? What will happen when I die? Instead of thinking about these things, instead of seeking the Lord, I silence conscience. This is what so many people do. And not only this, but people even blame God for their troubles. Or if there is a God, why, why would he allow this? Why would he allow that? Look what's happened in my life. But we tend to forget it's because of our sin that the world is the way it is. We deny this. Friends, what if the Lord Jesus Christ was to return tomorrow? Ask yourselves this morning, would he be your judge or would he be your saviour? You must understand, friends, that God takes no pleasure 
in the death of the wicked. He doesn't take pleasure in judging sinners. So much so that he sent his son to be crucified in excruciating agony and pain on Calvary's cross. But if we refuse his grace, at such a great cost, God did it at such a great cost. And yet if we refuse his grace, we will have to receive his wrath. A just judge cannot turn a blind eye to a serious crime, even if the person who committed the crime is sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. If that judge is just, he cannot just simply sweep it off under the carpet. That person deserves justice. He needs to be punished. And it's the same with God. He cannot turn a blind eye to our sin. He cannot just pretend it doesn't exist. He's got to punish it. He's holy. He must punish sin. Well, if that's the case, who can be forgiven? Well, this is the good news of the gospel. And only the gospel teaches this. Only the gospel deals with God's justice in this way. Other religions, yes, they speak about God's mercy, but they don't deal with the issue of what happens to our sin. It's just somehow buried beneath the proverbial carpet. It's not dealt with. Only Christianity, only the Bible deals with this issue. What about my sin? If God is holy, he must judge it. He must punish it. He cannot deny it. Well, this is the wonderful news of the gospel. God has made a way of salvation at such an infinite cost to himself. It cost him so much. It was difficult even for God to do this. How? By being punished himself. He himself took the punishment. He himself took the load upon his own shoulders. Prophesied, again I say prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled that Jesus Christ, who was the lamb that was offered, who was pictured as the lamb that was offered constantly in the Old Testament, but in the new, when he came to the cross, he knew what he would go through. He suffered and died the hell that I deserve. He didn't go into hell literally, but he suffered my hell on that cross. Don't just think about the physical aspects of Calvary, friends. That is, that you make a mistake in doing so. Yes, it was painful, the nails, the crown of thorns, these things were excruciating, but his father poured out his wrath upon his own son. The terrors of soul that Christ went through, those excruciating three hours of darkness as well. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken so that I don't have to be forsaken in eternity. Friends, and it's a gift. There's nothing you don't need to uh, study theology for years and decades and months. You don't need to do any religious exercises. You just come as a needy supplicant realizing that you're an undeserving sinner in desperate need of the salvation and it's free it costs god greatly but it's free to us lord jesus forgive me i believe that when you were dying on that cross bleeding you did it for me you suffered and died for my sins lord forgive me and change me lord you must desire to be forgiven and this is so much so fundamental for salvation you must also desire to be clean because there are many people who come to Christ wanting to go to heaven but not wanting the new life and they under the false pretension that they're believers when they're not because they live like worldlings no I must be willing to give my life entirely to the Lord and he will change me he will make me a new person Lord I desire to be clean I'm such a filthy person I'm I have uh, there's everything the matter with me Lord forgive me change me make me your child put me put me on the road to heaven you pray that you pray that prayer of faith and you, well, you desire, if you desire it, then God will forgive you. What's the, what's the credential? What's the, what must I do to be saved? Just desire it. Just desire the gift. 
That's all that's required of you. There's nothing you can give to, to earn your salvation. Just desire the gift that God offers you. And he will bless you. He will forgive you. He will change you. He will wipe the slate clean. If I'm sincere, then God, then Christ Jesus will be my saviour. But not only will he be my saviour, saving me from my sins, saving me from judgment and hell, I will also be under new management. I will no longer be my own boss. I will now have my, my saviour will now be my master as well. And he will guide me all the way through my earthly journey, which will lead to glory. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, it will, it will not be a day of terror for me, but it will be a, 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 a day of inconceivable excitement and joy, everlasting joy. In closing, friends, let me just read two passages of scripture. John chapter 14, verses, the first three verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And he has done so by shedding his blood. I go prepare a place for you. How painful it was for him to prepare, to prepare this, but he's done so. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And in John chapter 11, verses 25 to 26, and I close with this. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Believe, friend. Believe with all your heart. Do not delay any longer. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ now, while he may be found. Amen.